Welcome to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast, Been There, Done That. To get free mentoring services, as well as to see the wide variety of resources available for small businesses, visit our website at www.score.org or call 1-800-634-0245. And now, here's your host, Dennis Zink. Episode number 31, Employee Wellness. Fred Dunnier joins me today in our studio as co-host, SCORE mentor, and our audio engineer. Good morning, Fred. Good morning, Dennis. Our guest today is Bob Merberg with Paychex. Welcome to Been There, Done That. Thanks very much, Dennis. Great to be here. For over 20 years, Bob Merberg has been helping employees get healthier while advancing his organization's business objectives. As employee wellness manager at Paychex, a program which he oversees, Bob has won the Best Employer for Healthy Lifestyles Award six times from the National Business Group on Health. Last year, the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism selected Bob as Healthcare Consumerism Superstar for his accomplishments in the realm of wellness empowerment. Super, Bob. That's awesome. Thanks, Dennis. I'm very proud of it. Why should a company commit to wellness? Well, there are a lot of reasons, and companies, Dennis, commit to wellness for a variety of reasons customized to the individual company's circumstances. I think that the main thing we see is that companies understand that healthier employees are more productive at work and more productive and often have happier lives at home as well. Productivity issue for employees takes different forms. In some t- cases, it's lower absenteeism. Sometimes it means less presenteeism. And if any of your listeners are not familiar with presenteeism, presenteeism is time when you're at work, but your productivity is compromised for health-related reasons. Think of someone who's working, say, with a, with a migraine headache or, or lower back pain. Increasingly, I think that we're seeing that employers also appreciate how wellness can enhance employee engagement, employees' commitment to their work and to their employer. There are some other things like recruitment and retention. I think that these days, many employees are coming to the workplace expecting to have a wellness program available to them. So it's something that they look for and it's the mark of a, of a good employer. And I think one of the things that sometimes often gets overlooked in discussions of employee wellness, Dennis, is that it's really beneficial for everyone in our society. I think that everyone would agree that a healthier population would be a good thing. And in order to have a healthier population in the United States or in any country, employers have to be involved and have to step up because work is such an important part of everyone's life and, and a big part of where we spend most of our time. Bob, how do companies measure the success of their programs? I mean, is it just, is it absenteeism? Is it uh, productivity? Do they typically put in metrics? You know, there's a lot of discussion, Dennis, about how uh, a large percentage of employers do not measure the success of their wellness program. I think that uh, a lot do. I'd say there's some data on it. And actually, I'd be a little bit concerned about not citing that data quite as precisely as I'd like to. But I think that as an employer sets out, to consider whether their program is working and what metrics to look at, 
they have to consider, and this is something that, that really needs to be decided in, in advance. Why are you doing your program? I mentioned a few things a couple of minutes ago at the outset of our discussion. If I'm doing a program to improve employee engagement, then I need to use my employee engagement data or some measure of it to measure the success of the program. If I'm interested in reducing absenteeism, then yes, I'd look at people who participated in the program and are absentee rates improving? Are presenteeism rates improving? And that's something that can be determined with, with questionnaires. I know a lot of employers are interested in healthcare costs. That's a tough nut to crack, especially amongst small employers. But employers generally should measure the success of their program, and the metrics have to be based on the company's motivation for doing the program to begin with. So what are, what are businesses actually doing uh, currently to promote wellness? There's a wide range of programs that employers are offering, usually dictated by their own circumstances, their resources that are available to them, and their objectives. But some of the things that we most typically see are things like nutritional counseling and brown bag sessions for health topics like nutrition, as I mentioned, stress, back pain. Um, flu shots is one of the most popular and common employee wellness programs, weight management programs. Uh, biometric screenings, which include things like screenings for cholesterol and blood pressure and body weight or BMI. A lot of employers offer coaching to help their employees achieve their goals related to wellness, like getting more fit, eating more healthfully. Then there are some things, and when I look, I look at some of the data recently from a survey done by the Kaiser Family Foundation, and, and they divide up all the things that employers are doing, small employers and large employers. And they also include things like wellness newsletters, which are being offered by actually 33% of the small employers they looked at. Web-based resources, um, that includes things like information and assessments and interactive programs. Smoking cessation, or I should say tobacco cessation, because a lot of people use tobacco in other forms other than cigarettes, is a common program. Uh, a couple of others, gym membership discounts are common. Depending on the size of the employer, maybe on-site fitness facilities, uh, very small employers not too likely to have that. And um, health risk appraisals, which are a questionnaire in which the employee is asked a series of questions about their health and given some feedback on what they're doing well and what their opportunities for improvement are. What does it typically cost per employee for a company to have a wellness program? A company that's trying to do a robust wellness program, maybe about 100 to, when I think about a larger employer, it would probably go up to about $500 per employee. It varies widely, especially based on whether the employer is contributing incentives for participation or for achievement. But you know, Dennis, I think the important thing is that 
a wellness program for a small or even a medium-sized employer doesn't have to cost much at all. It even can be done with almost no expense other than the investment in the people who help organize it. And I'm a little bit reluctant to say that because I think that employers should invest in wellness and that it's a good investment and you can always do more in wellness with more resources. But there are so many things that employers have available to them that they can often access for free or that they're already paying for if they're working with a health plan. They should definitely turn to their health plan and leverage those resources. Local YMCAs, local hospitals often have programs available or willing to send people to help out. The American Heart Association or Lung Association uh, are usually very eager to come in and assist an employer with their wellness program, and they have a lot of resources available to them. So there's a lot that can be done with little expense at all. Bob, uh, that was quite a list of uh, services that you mentioned, and I I think that's really valuable. And I realize that uh, establishing a cost number for something like that when you've got an a la carte selection is is a little difficult to do. But um, when you talked about $500, was that per year per employee? Yes, thanks Thanks for the clarification. That's per year. And again, that is usually something I think that you would see for a, for a larger employer. And per employee is actually not, and, and I work for a larger employer, that's usually not how we quantify the expense. Uh, sometimes what you've seen and the way it's measured in a survey that's done by the National Business Group on Health, which is an association of that supports large employers is based on what percentage of an employer's overall healthcare expense is committed to wellness. And usually what you would see is that it's about one and a half to 2% of their overall expenditure for healthcare. And I think that that's an important perspective because if you hear you know, $100, $200 and up per employee per year, that sounds astronomical. But when you think about what employers are spending for healthcare, then that amount of money that's spent on wellness and prevention actually is really just a sliver of that chart. Yeah, it sure is. Um, So what kind of incentives the companies offer to employees for different things. So let's say I'm 20 pounds overweight or something or 50 pounds. What kind of incentives would I have? We're seeing the full gamut of incentives. Now, my own belief, Dennis, is that if you're 20 pounds overweight, that your best incentive is feeling better, is maybe living longer, helping to prevent disease, having more time, quality time with family or to commit to whatever it is you want to commit to. Um, But we do know that financial incentives are are popular. For the small and medium medium employer, those incentives are often still going to take the form of what I think of, for lack of a better word, as like trinket incentives. So I wouldn't necessarily give you an incentive for 
losing weight, but I might give you a t-shirt for participating in a program. I might give you a gift card because you committed to train for a half marathon or something. So I think that uh, for a smaller, medium-sized employer, uh, a trinket incentive like a t-shirt, a gift card uh, for participating are deliver value, and, and that value is largely in energizing people around the program and around the offering. Certainly in, in recent years, there's been an increase, and Dennis, this might have been what you were thinking about when you asked the question, in what's called outcomes-based incentives, which is where the employee would receive some financial return for achieving a biometric measurement. So for example, losing weight or getting their BMI into a healthy range perhaps would lead to a discount on their healthcare coverage, their, their medical coverage costs, or perhaps being above that range would lead to a surcharge. We see that with, with BMI and with blood pressure and with tobacco use as well. I personally uh, have not really been sold on the value of those programs. They're very controversial, have not seen any evidence that they actually help people achieve better health. And they're also right now getting caught in a bit of a regulatory net where there's a lot of questions about them. Employers who are doing some of those programs have been sued. They've gotten a lot of bad publicity. And my take on it, and I'm really just sort of speaking for myself here and some other people in, in the wellness industry who, who take this position as well. You know, we do know from a study that the Kaiser Family Foundation did that 70% of employees, a little bit more than 70% of employees, really do not believe that it's right for an employer to penalize people based on a health factor such as blood pressure or BMI. Wellness really has to be something positive. And when we think about those goals that I mentioned earlier, engagement, recruitment, retention, that's not gonna work if you're doing something that your employees hate, that your employees think you've got no business doing. So I really encourage employers to keep their wellness program positive. You know, I would think that uh, to some extent, employees might feel that there's an invasion of privacy, that you're going to look at my blood pressure and my cholesterol, and gee, I'm an employee there, but really, um, you know, I don't know that I want an internal exam. Yeah, I think employees definitely do view that as an invasion of privacy, and, and that's why their take on it is is negative, but I think that that's mostly true when that program is being, when, when the employees feel that they're being coerced into participate in that program. Where I work at Paychex, we've offered on-site health screenings. We've done it for uh, more than 10 years, actually since before I got into the role. And it's strictly voluntary. And we still get more than 40% of our employees participating, and they like it. They, they appreciate that information. Now, if I started uh, penalizing them because their blood pressure was a little bit too high, I don't think that they would like it so much. So, so privacy is an important thing, and, 
and employers will tell employees and i've certainly found it to be true that employers are not looking at individuals health factors uh, they're not looking at blood pressure measures there are usually third parties that are involved to do this and larger employers get aggregate information but uh, certainly in today's world employees are uh, a little bit skeptical about how that information will be handled and while it's regulated i think that a little bit of skepticism is is appropriate well, we hear a lot about you know large employers you know wellness programs and um, how do wellness programs differ for a smaller employer you know i can i think that they can be a lot different for a smaller employer and to be quite honest dennis and I've worked with some smaller employers, especially in my own community in Rochester, New York, where, where Paychex is based. And some of the best programs that I've seen have been done by smaller employers. I think that they have a lot of advantages um, because they're doing friendly walking clubs, yoga classes, and they have a sense, they build in a sense of community to their wellness program. That's a really, I mean, that's an important part of wellness. That really goes to social support and feeling connected at work is an important part of wellness. So they're doing things like bike rides, uh, sports teams, of course, of course, healthy potlucks, all those things that really, when you step back and look at it, is a very holistic view of of wellness. It's not just physical, but it's about connectedness. It's about feeling happy and whole and liking your your job and maybe including family, which some of the small smaller employers do as well. The smaller employers have, while they have, like every employer, have some challenges when it comes to wellness, but also some advantages as well. And and often, especially if they're all working in one place, the, com the communication is better. So it's easier to let people know about what's happening in wellness. Um, obviously, there are challenges if you have truck drivers or remote workers. The feedback lines are better. So the employer has a better idea of how their wellness program is being received and what people want. And there's more influence of culture i'd say so if i have an employee if if i'm an employer of 20 people for example and the person who's leading that company say the ceo or the proprietor or whatever it might be is encouraging people to go out for walks is walking with them is organizing them to do a bike ride on weekends that will be very very powerful and it's actually harder to do in a large employer setting. And, you know, finally, large, larger employers are very focused on what I think of, Dennis, as a conventional model, which includes these online health risk appraisal questionnaires, on-site screenings, telephonic coaching, and incentives. And to be as positive as possible, I'd say that there have been mixed results to those. So. The smaller employer, I think, has a greater ability to be agile and to be innovative and to, to try new things. 
Bob, is there any overlap between uh, what a wellness uh, consultant would do and workplace safety? The, the reason I ask, I, I've got an example, is my stepson just went to work in a, for a company that has a, uh, a factory. And in this factory, it's extremely hot. And they provide, you know, water and whatnot. But, it's, but he came home after his first day very ill from, from the heat. And I'm just wondering if, if there's any, if there is overlap and if wellness people ever get involved in looking at the work environment itself to see if there's anything they can do to promote health for the employees. Fred, that's a very forward-looking question and, and, and a really astute one. And I'm, by the way, I'm sorry to hear that your stepson um, had had that experience with his, with his own health and, and that work environment. I'll tell you the truth, in my own position, um, and it, as wellness program manager, I've very recently been given responsibility and oversight as well for safety, ergonomics, and workers' comp. And I'll just let you know up front, I'm on the learning curve, and some of those things are a little bit complicated. And I'm in an environment where it's mostly knowledge work workers as opposed to a manufacturing environment. Manufacturing safety is much more complicated. But what I've been finding is that there is definitely an interest in integrating wellness with safety and occupational health. And I have not yet found perfect models for how to do that, which might be partially because it does differ so much from employer to employer. In fact, the National Institutes of Occupational Safety and Health have a a campaign, it's called the Total Worker Health Program, that's all about integrating wellness and safety and the work environment. And of course, Fred, as you know, the work environment goes even far beyond the Uh, things like the ambient environment, the temperature, and those sorts of physical conditions. There's also the psychosocial environment, which goes to some of the things we talked about, like stress and and so forth. So in answer to your question, I think that there's a lot of interest in integrating those things, and I think that that's that's the way it should be. A wellness consultant should certainly be paying attention to the work environment, but I don't think that there are any easy solutions or formulas right now for or or perfect models for exactly how to do that. Bob, let me ask you, in a a typical business, what person, what role uh, should have the responsibility for their wellness program? Probably the person in my role, I'd say. (laughs) No, um, it differs again from employer to employer. I know I'm going to start sounding like a like a broken record, but that's that's the truth about wellness is uh, formulas are probably something to be wary of. In a small or medium-sized employer setting, usually what I see, Dennis, is that it is someone in human resources or benefits, if, if benefits are separated out a little bit, who has Uh, responsibility for wellness in addition to a host of other responsibilities. But I think that 
that that's common and and that works as long as that person is really committed to wellness and i think that the most important thing is that the person who's driving wellness is passionate about wellness that doesn't mean that they have to be uh, lean or they have to be a marathon runner or a vegetarian or anything like that but I do think it helps if they're committed to this idea that people can lead healthier lifestyles and that there's benefit to it for themselves and for the employer. So depending on the size of the employer, there might be times when it's just an employee in any role who steps up, who has that commitment and wants to drive it with their peers. In a small enough employer, I think that, you know, again, if I think about being an employer with, say, 20 employees, if the president of that company, the CEO, the proprietor, whatever uh, they may call themselves, can drive that wellness, that's certainly the ideal. And then as we get into larger employers, I think it's really good to have a dedicated wellness person such as myself and even larger when we get into like global companies to, to have a team. There is a role for committees and probably the best role for committees is in those employers that maybe don't have the resources to have a dedicated person and there's enough grassroots support where people want to get involved and work as a team. Bob, with wellness, I tend to think of two main components that are probably a big percentage of a well, any wellness program, and that being uh, weight management, uh, which has to do with nutrition, and exercise. Uh, I would think those are like two of the main components. So let's look at nutrition first. What can employers do to promote good nutrition? Those are both important components of wellness, and there are a number of things employers can do. So those would include things like offering uh, low-cost, healthy food options in, say, vending machines to promote healthy food if if refreshments or lunches, for example, are served at meetings. And one of the things that we're really seeing an upsurge of that I think is fabulous is employers partnering with local community-supported agriculture organizations, which is basically a pool of local farmers that will deliver weekly shares of their produce directly to the work site. We've been doing this. Employees love it. It helps make sure that there's fresh produce being delivered ultimately to their table. It makes it really easy for them, and it connects the employer to the community as well. Okay, and on, on the second part of the question, uh, what are some ideas for promoting you know, physical activity in workplaces? where most employees may be sedentary? I think one of the simplest things to do is to start creating walking groups. That's a group that will go out on a regular basis, often at lunch, for a walk. Employers should just jump in and do this. I mean, this is where employers need to be cautious about getting caught up in analysis and data uh, and planning. You know, just just do it. Employees, employees want to move. They're wired to move, ultimately. They might, not always, they might not always feel that way. Employers can offer uh, ideas for where to walk around the workplace 
And uh, if there's a large space, uh, I know this is something that some local health agencies will do, will actually help map out routes. Having bike racks available if the employer is in a bikeable location can be helpful. And anything the employer can do to support active commuting via walking or biking uh, can, can be helpful. And then, of course, on-site classes. You can, you can connect with a local yoga instructor. And if you can find the space, actually conduct a class uh, once or twice an evening, for example, after work or during work, if you if if it's possible, and uh, and deliver the experience right then and there. Hey, for what it's worth, Bob, I know that uh, some of the some technology is on the horizon. I believe that already some smartwatches, maybe Apple, uh, is doing this. That that they have an app that runs on your watch. That every hour it gives you some sort of chime to get up and walk around. I had that on my computer for years. That's, I mean, just as a program. And, and also standing desks are a big thing too these days. Can you comment on that? Yeah, standing desks are, um, are very popular and even treadmill desks. So if, if you're not familiar with the treadmill desk or some of your listeners aren't, and I've known even some smaller employers who have done this, the treadmill desk is a workstation where the person is on a treadmill, but lest you have any visions of the treadmill at the gym going at, you know, 10 miles an hour, these treadmills are designed to go no more generally than one and a half to two miles an hour. So it's very, very slow. Um, here at Paychex, we've actually installed four of them at various sites. And you can conduct work while just slowly moving. You can be on a phone call. And what it does is it's not a workout. It's not supposed to be a workout, but we've all been hearing lately how sitting is the new smoking, that there's just tremendous harm that can be done by sitting all day without a break uh, that can't be undone by working out in the evening. And having people use treadmill workstations is really the perfect way of allowing them to get some movement without them having to take time away from their work. Bob, how, how would somebody go about finding uh, a wellness consultant and, and evaluating their qualifications? Well, there are a number of organizations out there uh, that can refer an employer to a wellness consultant or a wellness vendor that provides services. Um, there's one called Wellcoa, W-E-L-C-O-A. Um, I think that their website is wellcoa.org. And there's another one called the Health Enhancement Research Organization. They could certainly point any employer in the right direction. I think that when seeking a wellness consultant or a wellness vendor, there are some things that employers should be watchful for. One is being presented with realistic expectations. So any consultant that says that they're going to give you, generate a return on investment of seven to one or 12 to one, um, that's, pro that's not realistic. An employer should make sure that a, a consultant has great references from other clients that uh, have achieved what they wanted to, that the consultant is connected with 
wellness products and programs, we've mentioned a bunch of things that the employer wants and that the employees want and that the objectives are, are clearly discussed. Again, for a lot of employers who offer health benefits, their health plan is, uh, is also often going to be a good starting point. What are some future trends? What's it going to look like in the future? You know, we, we touched on a couple of things that are taking off right now. So that's the use of wireless activity trackers like Fitbit um, and apps, mobile apps especially. I think that uh, we're seeing a greater emphasis on the different dimensions of well-being that include things like stress and financial wellness and on measuring these things in ways that are not strictly about healthcare costs, which is the, really the old model, but looking at uh, engagement recruitment. One of the things that I'm most committed to that I haven't mentioned is some of the psychosocial components to the workplace that influence wellness. And just recently, we saw a study that showed that people who work long hours, more than 55 hours a week, have a 33% greater risk of stroke and a 13% greater risk of coronary heart disease. And other things that have been shown to affect wellness are things like having little control over the demands of your job, job insecurity, rewards, work-family conflict. These are things that have been attended to quite a bit in other economies in the world. And I think that's really uh, an important part of the future of wellness. And I do think that we'll get there and that we'll see that uh, it's really in the end at the core of how an employer can influence the wellness of its employees. It's by those things with the work environment and the job conditions. Bob, if there was one thought that you would want our listeners to come away from this podcast remembering, what would it be? I think that the one thought would be to do wellness, to not get caught up in the paralysis of analysis, and to always make it positive, never, never coercive, and customize it to the needs and desires of the specific employee population. Well, Bob, thank you for being our guest today. I've been there, done that, and enlightening our listeners on wellness. Well, thank you both so much. It's been a wonderful experience. Thank you, Bob. You've been listening to the SCORE Small Business Success Podcast, Been There, Done That. The opinions of the hosts and guests are theirs and do not necessarily reflect those of SCORE. If you would like to hear more podcasts, get a free mentor, view a transcript of this podcast, or would like more information about the services we provide, you can call SCORE at 800-634-0245 or visit our website at www.score.org. Again, that's 800-634-0245 or visit the website at www.score.org.